You're listening to the Bloviation Blog Spoken Edition, a production of The Margin of Error. Beyond the Golden Shower, Rex Tillerson and Jeff Sessions run into some turbulence. While much of the world has been fixated on allegations that the Putin regime has compromising information about Donald Trump, confirmation hearings for Rex Tillerson, Secretary of State, Elaine Chao, Secretary of Transportation, and Jefferson Beauregard Sessions, Attorney General, were held today on Capitol Hill. Chow's hearings went smoothly, but the same cannot be said for Tillerson and Sessions. It's worth taking a moment away from the hullabaloo about Russian hacking, golden showers, and press conferences at Trump Tower to examine what went down on the Hill on Wednesday. Rex Tillerson, the former ExxonMobil CEO and current nominee for Secretary of State, went before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee on Wednesday. The hearings featured Marco Rubio trying on his big boy pants, Bob Corker attempting to help the nominee out at every turn, and Tillerson lying under oath about whether or not he ever lobbied against sanctions on Russia after it annexed the Crimea in 2013. We also saw the reemergence of Virginia Senator and former Democratic VP candidate Tim Kaine, who asked a few questions about Tillerson's time at ExxonMobil. Tillerson faced tough questioning from Marco Rubio in a rare showing of backbone on the part of the Florida senator. Tillerson refused to call Vladimir Putin's barrel bombing of civilians in Aleppo, Syria, a war crime, citing what he deemed to be a paucity of evidence that Russia carried out such actions. He also refused to comment on the Putin regime's murder of political opponents and journalists, stating that, quote, The people who speak for freedom are often threatened, adding that he did not think that there was enough evidence to link Putin to such killings. As Senator Rubio later pointed out, the Putin regime's killing of civilians in Syria and political opponents within Russia is widely known and supported by unclassified evidence. True to form, for all of Rubio's tough questioning that day, he would not commit to supporting or opposing Tillerson's nomination. When questioned on climate change, Tillerson stated that he did not think it was as big of a national security threat as others have portrayed it to be. He also stated that he believed that there was no scientific consensus regarding humans' role in causing it. Senator Kane presented a line of questioning to allegations that ExxonMobil, where Tillerson worked for 30 years and rose to the rank of CEO in 2006, has known about the dangers of climate change since the 1970s, but financed a campaign of faux scientific propaganda to protect their profit margin. Tillerson, who worked for the company for three decades, refused to comment on these allegations since he no longer works at the corporation. When asked by Kane if he lacked the knowledge to answer the question or just refused to answer it, Tillerson replied, a little of both. Tillerson departed from Trump's stated positions on several issues, albeit in oblique and adverb-riddled ways. For example, he told the committee that he would have recommended that the United States provide arms and intelligence to the government of Ukraine when Russia invaded the Crimea in 2014. Trump, unlike most Republicans, has been silent on the events in Ukraine leading many to wonder if there's some truth in the allegations that he's been trading favors with the Putin regime. Tillerson also equivocated on the possibility of the Trump administration enforcing a ban on Muslim immigration into the United States and the creation of a Muslim registry. He stated that it is important for the government to screen immigrants, although he rejected a, quote, blanket-type rejection of any particular group, adding that a national registry would probably include people other than Muslims. As for the Trans-Pacific Partnership, Tillerson does not oppose the agreement like Trump, but hopes that the final version will serve all of America's interests. Tillerson also disagrees with Trump's desire to arm South Korea, Saudi Arabia, and Japan with nuclear weapons. 
Meanwhile, day two of Senator Jeff Sessions' confirmation hearing featured testimony from Senator Cory Booker and civil rights icon Representative John Lewis. In an age where political norms don't seem to matter much, Booker broke with tradition by testifying against the nomination of a fellow senator. In the choice between standing with Senate norms or standing up for what my conscience tells me is best for my country, Booker explained, I will always choose conscience and country. Booker cited Sessions' notorious opposition to immigration and criminal justice reform, as well as LGBT rights, as reasons for speaking out. Representative Lewis of Georgia added that Sessions' aggressive and draconian support of so-called law and order legislation has done real harm to African-American families for decades, especially those residing in the South. Lewis is perhaps best remembered for marching and being beaten by police in Selma, Alabama, whereas Sessions is likewise remembered for his opposition to voting rights and country club desegregation. Lewis and Booker's testimonies came on the same day as the publication of Coretta Scott King's 1986 letter fiercely condemning Sessions' record of racial antagonism. Originally submitted to the Senate Judiciary Committee when Sessions was nominated for a federal judgeship by Ronald Reagan, the letter was reportedly missing for years because the committee chairman, noted Dixiecrat Strom Thurmond, chose not to put the letter into the congressional record or release it to the public. Obtained and published on Wednesday by the Washington Post, King's letter became one of the key elements that ultimately doomed Sessions' bid to become a federal judge and, who knows, Supreme Court justice. In it, King wrote that anyone who has used the power of his office as United States attorney to intimidate and chill the free exercise of the ballot by citizens should not be elevated to our courts. Mr. Sessions, she continued, has used the awesome power of his office in a shabby attempt to intimidate and frighten elderly black voters. How little things have changed. Sessions and Tillerson's hearings have not gone smoothly, a fact obfuscated by CNN's bombshell of a report that the Kremlin might be in possession of intel detrimental to Donald Trump, as well as the president-elect circus of a press conference Wednesday afternoon. Bipartisan hostility to Tillerson at his confirmation hearing suggests that his nomination is in jeopardy, but if Rubio's vacillation is any indication, he might just pull this off. Meanwhile, Republicans are much less bothered by Sessions' long history of bigotry than Tillerson's coziness with the Putin regime, so it's safe to say that he'll be wrecking havoc on America as our next Attorney General. Now we'll hear from <clears throat> Congressman John Lewis. Chairman Grassley, Senator Leahy, and members of the committee, thank you for inviting me to testify today. Millions of Americans are encouraged by our country's efforts to create a more inclusive democracy during the last 50 years of what some of us call the beloved community, a community at peace with itself. They are not a minority. A clear majority of Americans said they want this to be a fair, just, and open nation. They are afraid that this country is headed in the wrong direction. They're concerned that some leaders reject decades of progress and want to return to the dark past when the power of law were used to deny the freedoms protected by the Constitution. The Bill of Rights, 
and its amendments. These are the voices I represent today. We can pretend that the law is blind. We can pretend that it is evil-handed. But if we are honest with ourselves, we know that we are called upon daily by the people we represent to help them deal with unfairness in how the law is written and enforced. Those who are committed to equal justice in our society wonder whether Senator Session called for law and order would mean today what it meant in Alabama when I was coming up back then. The rule of law was used to violate the human and civil rights of the poor, the dispossessed, people of color. I was born in rural Alabama, not very far from where Senator Session was raised. There was no way to escape or deny the chokehold of discrimination and racial hate that surrounded us. I saw the signs that said white waiting, colored waiting. I saw the signs that said white men, colored men, white women, colored women. I tasted the bitter fruits, the bitter fruits of segregation and racial discrimination. Segregation was the law of the land that ordered our society in the Deep South. Any black person who did not cross the street when a white person was walking down the same sidewalk, who did not move to the back of the bus, who drank from a white water fountain, who looked a white person directly in their eyes, could be arrested and taken to jail. The forces of law and order in Alabama were so strong that to take a stand against this injustice, we had to be willing to sacrifice our lives for our cause. Often, the only way we could demonstrate that a law on the books violated a higher law was by challenging that law, by putting our bodies on the line and showing the world the unholy price we had to pay for dignity and respect. It took massive, well-organized, nonviolent dissent for the Voting Rights Act to become law. It required criticism of this great nation and its laws to move toward a greater sense of equality in America. We had to sit in. We had to stand in. We had to march. And that's why more than 50 years ago, a group of unarmed citizens, black and white, gathered on March 7, 1965, in orderly, peaceful, nonviolent fashion, to walk from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama, to dramatize to the nation and to the world that we wanted to register to vote wanted to become participants in the democratic process. We were beaten, tear gas, left bloody, some of us unconscious, some of us had concussions, some of us almost died on that bridge. 
But the Congress responded. President Lyndon Johnson responded. And the Congress passed the Voting Rights Act. And it was signed into law on August 6, 1965. We have come a distance. We have made progress. But we're not there yet. There are forces that want to take us back to another place. We don't want to go back. We want to go forward. As the late A. Philip Randolph, who was the dean of the March on Washington in 1963, often said, maybe our forefathers and our foremothers all came to this great land in different ships. Well, we're all in the same boat now. It doesn't matter how Senator Session may smile, how friendly he may be, how he may speak to you, but we need someone who's gonna stand up, speak up, and speak out for the people that need help, for people being discriminated against. And it doesn't matter whether they're black or white, Latino, Asian American, or Native American, whether they're straight or gay, Muslim, Christian, or Jews, we all live in the same house, the American house. We need someone as Attorney General who's gonna look out for all of us and not just for some of us. I ran out of time. Thank you for giving me a chance to testify. Thank you, Congressman Lewis. This has been an episode of the Bloviation Blog Spoken Edition, a production of the Margin of Error podcast.